This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Weekdays at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Hello and welcome aboard the Paul Gallant Show, the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. One you can jump aboard on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line 710-710. Tweeting me at Gallant Says. It is Wednesday, June 2nd of 2021 and the Mariners five game winning streak came to an end last night 12-6 they're back at 500 it started off pretty good Marco Gonzalez in his first start back looked electric he was throwing some pretty filthy stuff out there he goes four innings he strikes out six only allows one earned run and the Mariners made a bit of a lineup shakeup after some concerning news that we'll get to in just a moment they moved Jared Kelnick to sixth in the order and they lead things off with J.P. Crawford. The top of the order looked great. So they have a 4-1 lead, and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, maybe they just have the Oakland A's number. Boom, it's 12-6. Bunch of relievers come in in the midst, in between the 4-1 lead and the 12-6 defeat. It's not that surprising. It was bound to happen sooner or later. It's still disappointing. But yesterday, we heard some disappointing news on the Scott Service show with Jake and Stacy, Mariners outfielder Kyle Lewis has a meniscus tear. Okay, Lou, uh, kind of a funky play yesterday. He was trying to run down that ball in the gap there in about the eighth inning and uh, felt something in his knee when he landed, kind of jumped awkwardly for it. And uh, so we took him out of the game right away, and he had that checked on uh, this morning, very early uh, MRI, and it was determined he does have a, a very small meniscus tear um, in his right knee. So. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how long he's going to be out. Um, is it a you know a scope type surgery thing? I'm not sure yet. We'll, we'll find out here more today. As I go through my first 162 game voyage, following the Mariners, obviously because of last year and the pandemic was only 60 games. I, I see how you guys get so frustrated. It does feel as if there's just bad luck hanging over the organization at times. You get Marco Gonzalez back, but Kyle Lewis, who tore his ACL in his right knee in 2016, had a bone bruise in his right knee in spring training that kept him out a month, and now has a small meniscus tear that you would imagine is going to keep him out a little bit longer, if not a lot longer, than the 10-game stint that he was put on the IL for. It's just a bummer. I mean, that's the reigning American League Rookie of the Year, and now you're wondering, even though he is 25 years old, turns 26 years old next month, just how often this is going to nag him over the course of the rest of his career. And it leads to today's Paul Gallant Show question, 710-710, at Gallant says, short-term and long-term, what does the Kyle Lewis injury mean for the Seattle Mariners? This was the first thing that came to mind for me. You got to start the the conversation about extending one Mitch Hanniger. I know Mitch Hanniger's contract does not expire. At the end of this coming season, you got a year of arbitration with him. So he'll get paid definitely a lot more favorably than he has been. He says, I think the 23rd highest paid outfielder, uh, right fielder in baseball, getting paid only $3 million. That's below average, obviously. You would think in arbitration he's going to get a little bit more, especially with the start that he's off to this year and the power that he has been showing. And yeah, I'm still talking about the same guy in Mitch Hanniger who has really struggled to play for an entire season. Yeah, 
2018, as an all-star, he gets into 157 games. But 2017, he only plays 96 games. 2019, 63, doesn't play at all last year because of that oh, injury. I don't even want to say the word that he injured there. It's so... One of those things that makes me cringe every single time I hear it. You don't want to rupture that. Ugh. Anywho, when I look at Mitch Haniger, I feel like now is the time to start, you know, greasing your way up to making him feel like this is a place that he needs to be long-term. Because right now, I don't think you can necessarily count on Kyle Lewis being one of your foundational outfielders going forward down the road, and in the immediate future. Meanwhile, Mitch Haniger's been awesome this year. I suppose he could get hurt again. But they seem to be doing a really good job managing the amount of time that he gets in the outfield. Obviously, he was he was the designated hitter last night. The game before that, he gets a night off. I think that it's time to start warming up the oven. You want Mitch Haniger to want to be here. And I feel like maybe rewarding him ahead of time, ahead of arbitration, ahead of those awkward conversations that take place when a guy gets towards the end of team control by saying, look, you've been a part of a rebuilding team for a really for, for a couple of years now. We look at you as somebody who is going to be with us when we finally take a step over to the other side and be contenders, hopefully, of course. And I feel like you start doing that now. There's a bunch of conversation yesterday that had to do, and I know Larry Stone wrote a column about it in the Seattle Times, about why you can't trade Mitch Haniger. And I'm already past that. I don't think anyone is of the mindset, by the way, in this city at all, that the Mariners at the trade deadline should even consider trading Mitch Haniger. I mean, why would you? What are you going to get in return for him that you don't, that you don't necessarily have right now? Like, more hope, more prospects? I want known commodities on this team. You're not paying anybody. So why not try to get ahead of the curve, give Mitch Haniger an extension, pay him well more than he has been making, where he is playing for a contract that, again, pays him the 23rd most among all right fielders in baseball, and try to get this thing taken care of ahead of time. He might not want to stay in Seattle. you got to make sure that he wants to stay in Seattle. 7-10-7-10, today's Paul Gallant Show question, short-term and long-term, what does the Kyle Lewis injury mean for the Mariners? To me, the first thing, they got to make sure that they start the process, if they haven't already, of extending one Mitch Haniger. Some texts in, 7-10-7-10, or tweets, at Gallant says, I feel like there are some out there who might look at Mitch Haniger and say, oh, but are, are you 100% sure that he is going to be somebody that's more reliable from a health standpoint than Kyle Lewis? And that is a fair question. You don't 100% know, but I'm a really, really concerned right now with Kyle Lewis. It's the same injury. It's the same knee, and it's happened a couple of different times. Some other things that I feel like you have to now be wary of as far as short-term, long-term, for the Mariners and how it affects the Mariners going forward. Jared Kelnick can get reps in center field. Scott Service hinted at that yesterday on the Scott Service show with Jake and Stacy. You move Jared Kelnick down in the lineup, it does make me wonder about the way that they have just handled Jared Kelnick's ascension into 
the major leagues. Putting him in the leadoff spot right away, are you really setting him up for success doing that? Eh, I don't know about that. Taylor Trammell, though, is in a great spot coming out of it. And he went yard to deep right center field last night. He's got power, that's for sure. The injury to Kyle Lewis means he gets to stay in the lineup, get extended reps, get extended at-bats, and there's no fear of potentially being sent down again. Maybe that's the kind of fear that you want to have in the back of Jared Kelnick's mind. But these are the things, short-term and long-term, that I feel like are implications of the Kyle Lewis Injury, partially torn meniscus. Does not sound good. This is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line text. Curse of the Trident continues with the Trident deck at T-Mobile Park. Now Kalu is hurt again. Read an article a week or so ago and it feels like it is real. That is from coming from our own Brent Stecker. I don't buy into that. I don't buy into jinxes. The Trident looks cool. Trident actually looks like something a Mariner would have. As opposed to, you know, a, an S, a giant S with a baseball in the midst of it. But that's just me. I'm Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. You can listen on your 710 app, your smart speaker. Watch 710sports.com slash video. The most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. We'll hear from you in five minutes. Your phone calls, texts, all of those things because we are so interactive this hour of the Paul Galan Show is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration, but it's 10-10. That means it's time for What's Trending, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air with Maura Dooley. Good morning, afternoon, Maura. How are you now? Good morning, afternoon. I'm good. How are you? I cannot complain. Second vaccine done. Let's go. I expected to feel like crap. I have not felt a thing. It's approaching 24 hours since I've gotten it. I will say I feel a little warm right now. I don't know if that's because I've had all the preposterous amounts of caffeine I've had this morning, all the coffee that I've drank, but I'm feeling pretty pretty good, and I'm excited to eventually get out to T-Mobile Park and check out that Trident deck. Let's go. I think you're going to be okay. I uh, I had Moderna, too, and I woke up feeling pretty awful the next morning. Moderna uh, only, mob. It only lasted 24 hours, so I think if you're only feeling just a slight, slight bit warm right now, you should be good to go. I am invincible. <laughs> for now. All right, we'll start out. We don't talk much basketball here, but a, a little bit of news today with Danny Ainge retiring as president of basketball operations for the Boston Celtics. Head coach Brad Stevens will take over that role as they begin a search for a new head coach. And then also a little bit breaking right now, Jeff Goodman reporting that Duke coach uh, Mike Krzyzewski, I'm never good at saying that. You one, said it right. You're worse than I am. I, I know. I, like, I don't like to say his name <laughs> coach correctly. Coach K has yeah. decided to retire after this coming season. So after the next season that's coming up. Yeah. Classic Coach K because he needs to have like the farewell <laughs> tour. No ego with that man at all. You know, what's interesting about the Danny Ainge retiring and Brad Stevens moving up, you wonder who the next coach is going to be. Coach is a weird, weird job in the NBA. It does feel like the ex-players can just slide on into that role. And for whatever reason, it wasn't working with Brad Stevens. But what I think about is, in sports, when you see a guy, and this is not what, by the way, Danny Ainge is going to be, who is the head coach but also the grand architect of the entire program. Some people believe that is the case with the Seahawks and Pete Carroll. John Schneider actually does have a say, a big say, an equal say, in all things Seattle Seahawks. But that's the first thing I think about. Moving from the coaching role all of a sudden to one that means you have to do scouting 
and one that means you have to be able to objectively grade, scout prospects all over the country, the world. That's really difficult, I think, to go from being a head coach to that. Now, with some playing experience, maybe it's a little bit different, but I wonder about this move and any other move that involves someone who is in a coaching capacity also being in charge of buying the groceries. It works sometimes. It doesn't work forever. That's a good point. Sorry, I just got distracted here. Um, Quandre Diggs is one of my favorite Twitter follows. He's great. Yeah, he um, has a lot of fun with other players in the NFL going back and forth, but he just retweeted an article from page six that says Jay Cutler reportedly wants half of Kristen Cavallari's brand in their divorce and said, get that half. You deserve it, bro. I mean, if you watch the show, and if you're a guy, he actually makes the show somewhat tolerable. I just love that Quandre's weighing in on that. Good for him. (laughs) You know what? Go get your half. In divorces, isn't that the thing? Everyone gets half? But I think it's not about the show. It's about her, like, jewelry brand that he wants half of. Well, that's that's half of Cutler's brand, too. If you start a business when you're married, technically that is... Half theirs, right? Mm, I I think so. If it's a personal business. Sorry, I completely got sidetracked there. I, I just, don't know I just about love the business. Quandre Diggs on Twitter. He cracks me up. Quandre Diggs is a must follow on Twitter. What's up next? All right, up next we have uh, Sean McVay on the Flying Coach podcast this week that the Ringer does. Um, he discussed stealing plays in the NFL and admitted that the Rams got their two point conversion play in the playoffs from the Dolphins thanks to. Mr. Shane Waldron. Yeah, I, I just think technology enables you to be able to access a lot of information in an efficient way. And you got coaches that you can kind of assign for, you know, to, to certain things and projects, especially in those different, you know, situations, whether it's the third downs or the tight red zone. And that's exactly right. I did steal that play from Miami, you know, and actually Shane Waldron had had shown that to me who uh, hopefully he doesn't use it on us when he's in Seattle. You know, Cliff, we'll have to get after his twice a year now. But, no, it's uh, it's it's one of those deals that there's a lot of really good coaches and a lot of great ideas. The NFL's a copycat league, and one of the intriguing parts about Shane Waldron taking over as the Seahawks offensive coordinator, not having been an offensive coordinator before, which I think some people are going to view as an obstacle, as something that maybe is going to get in his way. What I look at is... He is somebody that is going to be open to all sorts of different ideas, trying to implement them with the Seahawks. And I think that when you see something succeed on another football team, get ahead of the trend, try it out, see if it works, and then move on to something else. But you should be aware of what everybody else does in this league. You can't sit back, in my opinion, and just continue to do what you are used to doing and have been used to doing for the entirety of your career. And I, I, I will say about Brian Schottenheimer, that is a guy who I don't think has ever really adapted his style of calling an offense, going back to his time with the New York Jets, his time with the St. Louis Rams, and he should have adapted it, especially considering he had Russell Wilson as his quarterback. And I think that was a big problem last year. So I'm not trying to get you too excited about Shane Waldron. I just like somebody who is willing to take a look at what other teams do and try to do them himself. That is more Dooley, everybody, with What's Trending, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air, every single morning at 10.15. I'm Paul Gallant, and this is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. 206-421-3776 is how you call it. 
You can text in to 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. What does the Kyle Lewis injury mean for the Mariners, both in the short term and in the long term? And the other question, too, was it the right move to move Jared Kelnick out of the leadoff spot in the Mariners lineup to the sixth spot? Do you have a problem with it? Does it make you have a little less faith in the Mariners based off of what seems to be a rather random shakeup considering the struggles that Kelnick had been going through for quite some time? It felt like they were going to be patient in that spot. You get to answer that next. I'm Paul Gallant. It's time for you to be heard. Your voice, your opinions. It's time to be heard. Every day at 1015 with Paul Gallant. Be heard. You can text it on the Mac and Jack Brewing Company text line 710-710. One person says Brian Schottenheimer's never been an offensive coordinator. You are wrong. He was at Georgia. He was with the Rams. He was with the New York Jets. Of course, with How the Seattle Seahawks as well. that Mark Sanchez led just dominant? No, I'm just kidding. You're right, Maura Dooley. I mean, <laughs> what he was able to do with one Mark Sanchez is, I don't know, the stuff of legend. Yeah, he was not able to get that thing going. It's difficult in New York to get anything going, though, I guess, in Shoddy's defense. And he has been a bit of a convenient punching bag this offseason. Text in this one ugh, makes me a little bit nervous. 253, Paul, I know it's early, but I am really starting to feel Dustin Ackley vibes with Jared Kelnick, which I do not need to go through again. We are all pessimists following this team, right? So I can understand that. The biggest problem about last night, it's not moving him out of the lineup down to six. I have no problem with it whatsoever. I was pushing for it. You got guys who are hitting better. J.P. Crawford's hitting better. Ty France is hitting better. They both deserve to be moved up in the lineup. I get it. For the most part, this year's about development. But when you're 31, in, or excuse me, when, when you're a game over 500, when you're 28 and 27, you're still trying to win baseball games. When you've won five in a row and the lineup is just not producing at all, you can't just stand pat. Kelnick was not hitting well enough to merit that leadoff spot. He's in the midst of an 0 for 28 slump. What's what's scary about last night is last night was the first night I could remember where I watched him and I felt like, oh man, he he just doesn't have it. And then when you compare that, like right after Kelnick's at bat, where he strikes out, you see Taylor Trammell just go yard. And I know some might be thinking, well, maybe you move Kelnick back to the minors for a little bit, but I I, I don't know about that. I thought Shannon Dreyer, who's the Mariners beat reporter for 710sports.com, made a really interesting point yesterday. I think it's accurate. There's never been a bigger gap between AAA baseball and the majors. So sending Kalnick back, how much does it help him? Sending Taylor Trammell back, how much did it help him? I mean, it's one game. You know, we'll see if he's actually able to make contact more often. He's got power. There's no doubt about it. I am... I would be lying if I said that I am not a little concerned now with Kelnick. He's young. He doesn't have to succeed right away. Some tweeters and texters have pointed that out. You do have to be patient, but maybe his confidence isn't completely unflappable, unshakable. It's a tough spot to be in. And they might have put too many expectations on his shoulders. Moving him into the leadoff spot right away makes sense in Tacoma. 
and if de- again, eventually it makes sense too. I, I like the idea of Kelnick being akin to George Springer, power hitter with speed at the top of your lineup. But at the same time, if you're expecting that guy to eventually succeed, do you really want to put him to get at the top of the order to get him the most at bats? Like that's that's a weird dynamic that you have to sort of, I guess, counterbalance or counterweigh if you are the Mariners right now, where you have to say, you know what, do we want Kelnick to get as many at-bats as possible but do it at the expense of a baseball team that, for whatever reason, despite a giant run differential, has been competitive? It's a tough spot to be in. Uh, text in 710-710 on the Mac and Jack the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. I had a little bit of a brain fart there. I agree with you, Paul. And the, thir- the, th- the first thing I thought of when I saw the Kyle Lewis injury is that the Mariners should think about paving the way for a Mitch Hanniger extension. I agree with you there, Paul. Extend Mitch two years. Kelnick also might have been moved down in conjunction with Kyle Lewis going down, and he's not hitting. Fraley now can't be having games of 0 for 4 with 4Ks. you got to pick up the slack. Easier said than done, though. Easier said than done. Another text. The Mariners, this is about Kelnick, did a horrible job managing the hype. Service and Depoto put way too much pressure on him. All the talk before his call-up, then putting him at leadoff. <laughs> he's not Jesus. He's a kid. You're seeing the results of that. I do think he has the confidence to weather this storm, but last night he did not look particularly confident. I'm Paul Galan. It's the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. Looking forward to hearing more from you. But up next... I'm really excited. We're going to bring on the Ringers, Danny Kelly, Seahawk fan, draft expert, and talk about something the Seahawks have been doing of late. They have been much more willing to trade draft picks for veterans than actually drafting guys. Has that actually worked out? We'll talk about that more. It's 1030, and that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some freaking toughness... You're gonna get your, you're gonna, you're gonna fail with Paul Gallant. And joining me right now from the ringer, I think one of the dons of Seahawks fans online, but also a guy who does a fantastic job covering the NFL draft for the ringer. It is the one and only Danny Kelly. Danny, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely, thanks so, so much for having me on. No problem. Um, you know. It was a bit of a bummer, I imagine, for you, being someone who covers the draft, to sit back and see the Seahawks only have three selections in <laughs> last year's draft, and or excuse me, this uh, this this season's draft, and they've traded so many picks for veterans mm. over the last two seasons. They've traded picks to get six different veterans. Do you think that's been the right move for the Seahawks? Are they actually better now for it than they may have been entering the 2019 season when they first started really going all in with this? Yeah, I mean that's like so tough to know because I mean not to not to be a, like a fence sitter or whatever, but like it's been hit or miss. I think they have had a couple of good trades that worked out for them um and probably got more value than they would have with that draft pick or at least more secure value. It's always like a, a big toss up whether draft picks are going to pan out and sometimes it takes several years. So I think in some cases trading for a veteran where you know kind of more what you're going to get can be a smart move and I think um I, I like the trade for Gabe Jackson. I think he's a solid player. He's going to, you know, drop right into that offensive line and make it better. Um, you know, trading for Carlos Dunlap last season, I think, was smart. He didn't have to give up a whole lot. Um, 
but on the other hand, like, you know, going all out and trading for Jamal Adams, I think the, the jury's still out on whether that was a good move. You're giving up a massive amount of draft capital for that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag. And, and going back throughout John Schneider's history and Pete Carroll's history, you know, they've obviously taken some big swings at guys, first-round picks, Jimmy Graham, Percy Harvin. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the Harvin trade didn't really work out. The Jimmy Graham trade, I think you could – it depends on who you ask whether that was a good trade or not. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I don't really mind them taking swings, especially with Russell Wilson getting a little bit older. Um, I, I do, I, I'm a pretty strong believer that yet you have to maximize the last couple of years of Russell Wilson's career. If that's the case, it, career here in Seattle, anyway, if that's oh boy. The case, he's, he is going to have to move on, um, you know, at, after his next, uh, contract is over. I I really want to maximize the last few years. So, you know, drafting a guy in the third, fourth, fifth round and hoping he pans out. Um, I think it's, it's probably you're, you're going to get quicker results if you trade for a veteran in that case. Yeah, I'm impatient, and I, I don't mind some of the moves that they have made trading for veterans. Danny Kelly of the Ringer with me in the sports pit. But at the same time, you have to, I imagine, start being a little bit conservative and to think a little bit more about the future. And, I mean, when you only have three draft picks in this past year's draft, eventually you're going to start to run low on depth. But, you know, one of the mm-hmm. conversations that's begun this week, Danny, because of those Seahawks and their aggressiveness with trades. We've seen in Las Vegas that the Seahawks are favored to trade for Julio Jones. I don't know if that's actually realistic, but seeing as they've been so aggressive and you talked about trying to maximize the ability for Russ to win right now, would you want the Seahawks to trade, whether it's a second-round pick, which it sounds like is the probable return that Atlanta would get for Mm -hmm. someone like Julio Jones? I would, yeah, I'm I'm on team trade for Julio, especially if it's a second round pick. It, you start to, I, I hesitate if it's a first round pick a little bit, just because he's 32 years old and he's getting older and all that. But I, like going into last season, I was actually on the the train that the Seahawks needed to get another big play receiver. And I, I remember before the draft last year, I was stumping for them to draft draft a receiver in that draft, and so um, I do think especially in the, with the way that the NFL is going, especially with um, what I think the Seahawks offense will be in, in, in 2021, which is like a three-receiver set offense. I think you need three good receivers. We saw kind of how the Seahawks offense really petered off down the stretch. Lockett kind of got banged up. That definitely affected things. I think you're not wanting to rely on a guy like Freddie Swain to be your, your receiver three. I think having three good receivers is kind of like the standard in the NFL. Obviously, you know, you're talking about Julio Jones, who has been like the best receiver of his generation. So I think adding him into the lineup could be a force multiplier for, for everyone around him, for DK, for Lockett, for Russell Wilson, uh, you know, even for the run game, honestly, I think he could open things up. And so um, I do think there are a lot of positives that could come with trading for Julio Jones. It's, it's a big risk. Again, like you said, you know, they're kind of mortgaging the future to try and win now. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, like once Russell Wilson's off this team, the Seahawks aren't a good team anymore. They're rebuilding. They they have to like kind of like start from scratch a little bit. It's not scratch. Obviously, you could luck into like another, you know, mid round guy or something like that. But odds are you're kind of like rebuilding after that. And so um, I'm kind of just on the train where you want to maximize Russell Wilson's the, the waning years of his prime and just go for it, honestly, and, and kind of like operate in like a two or three year structure. He's definitely in his prime, but. I hear you talking there, Danny, and I'm wondering if you're skeptical about how much longer Russell Wilson's future in Seattle is <laughs> going to be, just based off of what I heard yeah. there. 
Yeah, so here's here's what here's a way that we can look at it. If they trade for Julio, I think Russell Wilson could be here long term. If they don't, and if things continue to kind of go down the road that they're going, where the Seahawks I think are pulling back, you know, wanting to be more balanced, wanting to you know dedicate more to the defense or whatever it is, you know, I think that's like the things that Russell Wilson has has said kind of like affect him and, and trouble him. And, and so I think honestly, like if you're Russell Wilson and you see Tom Brady go to Tampa Bay, win a Super Bowl, he gets surrounded by all these elite weapons. Um, you know, what are you going to do with the last final years of your, of your contract of, of your career? Are you going to stick with the team? Obviously that you've had so much success with here or, but also at the same time, like he's been, uh, there's, there's just been like a, a long running thing where he wants like more resources on offense. He wants better offensive line. Like, he wants to be surrounded by stars. Um, if I'm Russell Wilson, honestly, I'm probably leaving for a team that throws a bunch, and you're going to, like, have a better chance of getting him into the, the Hall of Fame and all that stuff. So um, I kind of feel like this is a little bit of a crossroads this season if, if the Seahawks really pull back and decide not to, um, I guess, like, surround him with stars and, and, you know, pass the ball a good amount and try and get him um, happy, then I think, you know, we could be talking about, like, a divorce down the line. So, I mean, not necessarily this year, but like next year, the year after. There's a part of me that wishes he would be pushing for defensive players because it's still helping the team out. And I'm so, I'm, I'm not quite sold on what the defense did down the stretch, though it did right. dramatically transform. Uh, one last question for you, Danny, because you do such a great job covering the NFL draft. I feel like the the draft profile that you guys put together, it's really simple and easy to break down and see all those prospects. You do a great job with that. Who had the best draft in the NFC West? <laughs> so that's a little bit of a tough question because you got the Seahawks who had three total picks. You got the Rams, the Rams who didn't pick until the third round, I believe, or at least late second round. Right, right um, after the Seahawks. Know, that's correct, right. So like both the Seahawks and the Rams are like playing with less than a full deck in that case. So I, I would say neither of those guys, neither of those teams you could really say realistically had the best draft. I'd probably lean towards the 49ers. Um and I think it, it kind of you know comes down to Trey Lance. I, I like his, I like him as a prospect. I think he's going to be very very intriguing to watch and how he adds to that run game. You know what he can do developing in that Kyle, Kyle Shanahan scheme. Um, I did like the Aaron Banks pick. I like the Trey Sermon pick. You know later in the draft, a lot of these guys are kind of dart throw type players. But um, you know overall, especially considering the Seahawks and the Rams just didn't have enough capital to really make a huge impact. I think. Um, I would I would say the 49ers, I like their draft more than the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals draft was fine, but Trey Lance could end up being an elite uh, an elite quarterback, you know, in that offense with that running ability, with his, you know, accuracy, all that stuff. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how that all pans out. But a couple of years from now, we could be talking about Trey Lance as a high-end uh, quarterback. So that would obviously carry that class. Hopefully with Lance, that'll be later rather than sooner. He is Danny B. <laughs> Kelly on Twitter. Danny, thank you so much for joining me, man. And let's do this again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. That is Danny Kelly, everybody. Must follow for draft coverage. Up next, you got a choice. Three topics. How many superstar athletes are really the victim of a bad situation? Everyone's least favorite sports debate being foisted back on us. And one of the Internet's most controversial football sites has me scratching my head. But we'll also continue to talk about what Kyle Lewis's injury means for the Mariners and Kelnick's struggles next on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. 
Question of the day, because Jared Kelnick suffered partially torn meniscus. The same right knee. Ugh. That he injured. Kyle Lewis. I think you might have said Kelnick. Did I say Kelnick? Yeah. Don't, don't put that out there. God. that's. <laughs> thank you for the save, Maura. I guess this is sort of my mentality right now following the team. Kyle Lewis suffered a partially torn meniscus. He has already torn the ACL in that right knee, 2016. He had a bone bruise in that knee earlier this year. Now a torn meniscus. I don't know if they're all related. I don't. I just get wary, nervous when I see them all stacking up. And he is approaching the latter half of his 20s. So I think there are things that you have to start looking at and take a little bit more seriously. I think right now you want to ensure that Mitch Haniger is a part of you going forward, given what he has done for you this year. And I feel like paying him ahead of time, as opposed to going through the arbitration process, it's a good faith move with Haniger. It is a good faith move, I think, shown to the rest of your roster. And I do also think it makes you a little bit more legitimate, say you do all of a sudden, and again, that's a big if, but if you do all of a sudden decide to swing big in free agency and bring in somebody, which I hope the Mariners do this offseason. But let's go back to Kelnick. Over over his last 28, and a texter rightfully so, Brings this up, Paul. Put your big boy pants on. I'm wearing shorts, by the way. Not acceptable at work. I'm not 100% sure. They're rather short, not quite dad short-esque. We work in a pretty casual work environment. Okay, Maura. Okay, that makes you feel I better. All right. I, I was spoken to in the hallway with, like a, with a raised eyebrow about it, and I'm like, yeah, but it's actually nice out. <laughs> it's nice out today. I don't have to wear a jacket into work for the first two times this year. Anyway, the text continues. No one cares about my shorts. Don't be that guy who gets what he has been lobbying for, and then when it isn't immediately successful, criticize the people who gave it to him. And the criticism would be me saying I wanted Kalnick up on the major league roster, that I wanted to see Kalnick in that leadoff spot. I did. I I, I was intrigued by it. But I also thought he was going to hit. Maybe I was guilty of... You also admit on the regular that you have a little Veruca salt in you. Yes, I want it now, number one, Mora, <laughs> And number two, I am the most overreactionary follower of baseball. This is what happens when you are a football guy. You just tend to overreact to things and be a little bit less able to sit back, be patient, and let the whole thing play out. There's 162 of these. I mean, Kalnick's gone through 28 at-bats, but we've seen two moments, too, where we're like, oh, look at that. The text finalizes, you can handle this, and I think is trying to take some of the onus off Jerry DePoto, off Scott's service. With Ty France now back in the lineup, that also changes things. You have better guys that you can put up at the top of the order, and I think because they're hitting so well, you had no choice but to move them up to the top of the order. I know Danny uh, O'Neill on Danny and Gallant, our show earlier, check out the podcast, is someone who believes you just should be patient with him. And I get that line of thinking, but at the same time, if you keep putting him in that spot and you're a 500 baseball team, what does that say to the rest of the team? That development is more important than the immediate results? And that's a tricky spot that the Mariners are in right now because development should be more important than, I guess, what ends up ultimately happening at the end of this year. But then all of a sudden, after a five-game winning streak, you don't want to minimize that. You don't want to all of a sudden say, well, we're more about the young players that we think are going to be great developing into those great players. You can't do that. Text in 710-710. You got to give Kalnick a break. This is only his third week in the major leagues. He didn't play a game last year due to COVID. Mike Trout struggled his first year. 
It's going to take him a little while to get in the mix with things. I hope that the sixth spot helps him out. And honestly, earlier this week, if you were listening, I was advocating for pushing him back in the lineup. So I, I don't have a problem with them moving him back in the lineup at all. I'm starting to wonder if they maybe force things a little bit too quickly. One texter, a lot of body language people out there, but I'm not going to lie. I sometimes subscribe to the idea that on the field, I can see if somebody has confidence or doesn't have confidence. The text, Kelnick is losing his confidence. I never thought that would happen. I can tell by his eyes and his posture. I don't know, though. This guy is one of the most remarkably confident young baseball players that I've ever chanced upon. Maybe a little different now that he's in the majors because the last time that I sat down with him was in Peoria back in uh, before the pandemic even happened. So a different world that we're living in. Text in 710-710-206-421 to call in. Uh, 206-421-3776 to call into the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington. A text. Paul, you scared the crap out of me. I'm sorry. That was an honest mistake. I did not mean to say that Jared Kelnick suffered an injury. Nope, did not, because that did not happen, and we're not going to wish that energy on anybody. Since this is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle, we're doing this feature at the end of every show where you get to pick the last topic that I talk about. You got to pick through these three topics. How many superstar athletes are really the victims of a bad situation? How the worst sports debate is again being foisted on us, and why one of the internet's most controversial football sites has me scratching my head. That worst sports debate, LeBron versus Jordan. It's back in our lives. Gross. Second, uh, the, the first topic, superstar athletes. Man, a lot of people are acting like LeBron James is the centerpiece of an ASPCA ad. Oh, poor LeBron. He's all by himself. And other athletes, too. Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers. But we're going to talk about pro football focus. A website that Buda Baker, former UW player, says, I don't pay attention to it. They've been haters since day one. He got ranked the 16th best safety in the NFL. Take a look at that at face value. That is stupid. That is just stupid. Buda Baker's a fantastic player. Hard hitter. Impactful player. Obviously almost had an 100-yard pick six of Russell Wilson, if not for the superhuman efforts of DK Metcalf. Anyone who has watched him knows that he is not the 16th best safety in the National Football League. And Maura, you looked at the pro football focus top 10 non-quarterbacks in the NFC West. Aaron Donald at the top. Duh. Trent Williams at number two, a left tackle. Fred Warner, linebacker, number three. Left tackle, it's Dwayne Brown at number five. I love Dwayne Brown. Five. Andrew Whitworth at seven. Like DeAndre Hopkins is, should be, I think, number two. On that list. J.J. Watt? J.J. Watt? I mean, I can't even finish the sentence there. That, to me, it's like they're going off of 2019 results. These grades, I have to admit, there is a lot of effort that goes into them. They are not completely mindless and brainless. I've talked with people that work for Pro Football Focus that I actually trust the opinion of. I'd say Eric Eager. Specifically. But some of the results that they get, I know that they create internet clicks, but I just wonder how actually accurate they are. This, to me, that list, not very good. A lot of thanks to go around for today's edition of the Paul Gallant Show. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review the podcast. You'll be able to watch some of it if you so choose Paul Gallant on YouTube. 
Big thanks to Danny Kelly, who stopped by in the sports pit, to the texters and the tweeters, and of course, more Dooley, who makes this thing happen every day. I am merely Paul Gallant. Jake and Stacy is next. So long, farewell, have a wonderful Wednesday.